Welcome to the Heart of Life podcast. We're Jesse and Brooke, two therapists and friends, sharing our lived stories and creating an unscripted space for healing. We hope this podcast empowers our listeners to find freedom and bravery through examining the heart of life with curiosity and permission. While this isn't a substitute for therapy, we believe that you'll find healing, belonging, and your own invitation into becoming. To another episode of Heart of Life. We're so excited to be here and talk about our invitation. Last uh, episode was to be creative. And we didn't give you any other guidelines <laughs> for that because creativity is so different for every person who engages in it because it is what we uniquely bring into the world. But our invitation to you was to take five minutes a day to think about being creative, to explore creative spaces. Um, and so I'm wondering how you took that invitation, Jesse, and, and I know that mine kind of shifted and moved in interesting ways. Yeah. Yeah. I liked this, um, invitation because it was, I don't know, I think it allowed me to draw attention to some things that maybe already exist in my life, but also to modify some things. And so, uh, one way that I saw it show up is I've been writing in the mornings for just a few minutes here and there. Um, but more than that, I think, cause that seems more like a literal creativity for me. The thing that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was a meal that I made uh, since last episode. Mm-hmm. We get a, um, we get a meal box service and I won't name them cause I'm mad at them right now and our millions of followers don't need to purchase it. <laughs> But we got a box and a bunch of the ingredients were spoiled. And so I had this opportunity to do like an at-home top, is it Top Chef? Mm-hmm. That does no, like, what do I have and yeah. how do I make something with it? <clears throat> how do I make something out of this dish that was potato-based that the, we no longer have potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> um, it turned out fantastic. And it was really fun for me. Mm-hmm. And it was this experience of ingenuity, I think, but also a little bit of desperation because <laughs> we needed to eat. Um, but it was also just this like, okay, yeah, this, like, what would I do if I hadn't had this pre-planned for me? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just, I hadn't thought about that in a while that the convenience that we had of taking the mental labor out of the creativity of meals also removed the creativity. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of you know, wrestling with that, like, where's our good balance? Cause that was such an enjoyable experience. Yeah. I love that cooking was your creative moment because I, I think it is easy for us to stick to writing or, you know, drawing, painting, all of those things. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that that was your moment. I think for me, I, you know, I, I did write and I, I was doing those things that I, that I sometimes do here and there as well. But what I noticed was just the invitation to be creative Mm. made me notice things more or differently. So just that invitation to, to think about it made me look at, 
you know, oh, like what, what does that tree in my backyard look like? Like what is the yellow of that tree that I see mm. right now? Or the other morning we woke up to snow mm. and just looking at the trees and the landscape just a little bit differently. If I were to capture this, what would I, what mm. would I capture? What would I see? How would I write about what the snow looks like? So it was really, for me, the thinking of being creative, but it was shifting my perspective, which is what we talked about, right? That we yeah. see things anew. I love that. Well, and the, 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 I think so often, and I, I've even run groups unintentionally this way where we've given like a creative assignment, say, mm-hmm. and had participants come back. And then the next week I find myself saying, okay, what did you make? Mm-hmm. And it's like, ugh. <laughs> I wish I could, I mean, it's done, but I wish I could go back or maybe moving forward, a better question would be like, how did creativity show up Yeah. this week? And so I love, as you share this idea of having this relationship with something, even if you don't do, mm-hmm. you know, anything with that thing, but having a relationship with it differently than you would have mm-hmm. prior to this urgent, or this urge, right? This impulse. Yeah. You know, I, several... Several weeks ago now, I went to a writer's retreat, and I and I always enjoy it, and I always end up, you know, surprised by what I write or don't write. Sometimes it's just like, I'm here to eat and sleep, and <laughs> you guys can write, and that's perfect. And I love that there is the flexibility to do that. But while I was there, somebody was talking about a haiku that they'd written, and I hadn't written a haiku since I was in middle school. Right. Really, and learned about haikus. <laughs> and syllables. <laughs> right, and syllables, right, counting them out on your hands yeah. as you go. Um, but I, that sparked something in me. And since then, I've, I've written quite a few, but it's been this really fun creative exercise for me. I may not even write, but I'm trying to think, how would I capture this mm-hmm. moment? Or how would I capture this conversation that I just had that was so powerful in like five, seven, five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it just shifts things to me. It's been this way of really distilling down to what matters Mm -hmm. and being really mindful of the language that I use. Mm -hmm. And in that, like we talked about in the last episode has taken a lot of the static out of an experience, Mm -hmm. uh, which has been really meaningful. Yeah. When it's, you know, I'm thinking back to our last episode about when you shared about the, um, the piece you had written about a pretty long season of your life Mm -hmm. and being able to distill it down, not because the story is too much, but because it saturates it, Mm -hmm. you know, it allows us to see like, okay, if I, if I had to yell, the most important thing about this as I'm driving by on a train, what would I say? Right. Right. And it, it's not to pick the perfect, uh, phrase you'd yell, but I, I ask myself similar questions to that sometimes because I'm long winded. It's like, if I only could tell this client one sentence, just pick that one. And then it's still four, but it's their better ones than it's not 20, but it's not 20. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious with this with this invitation with the the cooking and the writing and the ways that you have n- noticed that you've missed creativity or that you've lost parts that w- of your experience that were creative to convenience. Yeah. 
to me that that opens up the idea of intention yeah and one of the reasons that this invitation was meaningful to me and to you is because there was an intention i'm i i have set this intention to be this way and so i'm more likely to engage with that and to really um make something meaningful from it yeah uh, and I think intention <clears throat> leads us to, like, how how do we set intention and then how do we move with intention? And to me, that looks like ritual. Yeah. That looks like, um, and, and when we need to differentiate between habit and ritual, but sometimes our ritual begins as habit and then evolves over time to have more meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, behind it but tell me a little bit about what you think about that yeah I love the word ritual and it's I I use that word frequently probably to describe a lot of things maybe inaccurately or accurately (laughs) but I like the word ritual instead of habit Mm -hmm. or instead of behavior even or instead of chore like there's a lot of things that I actually offer my mind the word ritual for instead of what I previously would call them because I like engaging in ritual and it feels nourishing. Um, and I, and I do think that's, that is a question that I think is important for us to talk about is the difference between habit and ritual. And I love how you said the intention behind Mm -hmm. it is what, what indicates maybe how we're, how we're going to experience it. Yeah, it wasn't very long ago. I I picked up a book um, because I was in this deep dive of trying to feel better health wise. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it was just like any information. Um, And I was going and getting acupuncture and I was, you know, talking to all of these, these people outside of the medical community trying to get other information. And one of the books that I picked up was a book about Ayurveda. I have it still. Yeah, I know. I I lent lent it it to you. Um, and they talked about ritual in there. And, and when I opened up the book and was looking at it, I was like, wait a minute, like <laughs> you're telling me to brush my teeth every morning. <laughs> like, what is this? The hell? <laughs> right. And, and I, because in my mind, ritual meant something, I, I think it was connected to something religious or, or like ceremony. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the word I haven't been able to. Yeah. So it was attached to ceremony. And so when I opened this book up and looked at this as like, oh no, this is just intentional self-care. This is choosing every morning to wake up and do these things in order because the intention is that I am choosing to care for myself. Yeah. That shifted my perspective of ritual. And I started to see in so many different ways where ritual shows up. Mm. Right? I when I when I get home at night, there are certain things that I do before I too pull out my prepackaged <laughs> food <laughs> to make dinner. But I I hang my coat up and I pet my dog and I turn on some music and all of those things are this it's this ritual of transition for me mm-hmm. from work to home and to settling in and and a lot of that is habit but as soon as I understood ritual a little bit better I put some intention into it Mm -hmm. I started to notice during the pandemic when we all went online for a while 
Yeah. I recognized that there was something really challenging for me between doing a session with my client in my home office bedroom slash space. Yeah. And then immediately walking out into my kitchen mm-hmm. where everyone was, you know, doing their stuff. Yeah. And, and soon recognized the need for ritual, for putting away one thing and moving into the next. Mm. It's, yeah, I hadn't thought about that until now, but during the pandemic was such a, such an invitation for ritual for me because it required me to slow down. And as I'm thinking about it during the pandemic, I was living alone at my condo and I would wake up and I was, I was even doing like some dry brushing, which is like, <laughs> wow. Wow. I know <laughs> not every day. Don't get too excited. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to brush my skin with this bristle brush, but I was doing that and I was wearing cozy clothes and I was using this like beautiful body oil and I would set my, and of course I live alone. I lived alone at this time other than Jeffrey. So I had all the time and space to myself but I'd like put lavender in the diffuser and I'd make my cup of coffee and I'd sit and I'd water the plant. And it was just this, like, this is what life could look like in its simplest form. Mm-hmm. And I think what I attached to that at the time and how I was making sense of it was, oh, I finally have time for this because I don't have to blurry eyed get to work at this very early hour and blah, 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 blah. But now that we're talking about it in the context of ritual, what I was doing was really moving through my day with intention Mm -hmm. because I believed I could. Yeah. And it was meaningful for you. Yeah. Right. There's a quote that I, that I want to read here by Christina Baldwin, where she says, ritual is the act of sanctifying action, even ordinary action so that it has meaning. I can light a candle because I need the light or because the candle represents the light I need. Mm. So let's, let's talk then about, about what that, about ritual, about how we identify where they already are, because they are already there for all of us. Mm -hmm. And then how we move that intention behind it. Like the Ayurvedic book, I I was already brushing my teeth every morning. (laughs) Just so everyone's really clear. That was something I was already doing, along with several of the other things that it suggested, showering, etc. But now I understood that I could put the intention behind it, that I was doing this because I was caring for myself, because I was choosing to prioritize my health before Mm -hmm. I jumped into the day, right? Before I moved into what everybody else needed. I was going to do these very simple, Mm -hmm. like low effort things, but in a way that now I was taking this very ordinary mundane thing, but putting meaning behind Mm -hmm. it, which shifts everything. It shifts everything. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I, I think I can't help but think about this study I read one time that talked about how we actually digest food differently depending on what level of stress we're in when we're, when we're eating it. Mm-hmm. Um, or how it translated for the body image work I do is that if we are feeling guilty about what we're eating or ashamed or whatever that food rule is, 
our body actually can't do the same things with that nourishment as it would if we gently sat down and really enjoyed this birthday cake because we're we're surrounded by love, right? We're it's in this birthday. ritual of celebration. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So our and and I bring that up because our bodies you I mean we talk all the time about the connection with our bodies, but our our bodies are responding to ritual too. And to that question of where do we find ritual in what already exists in our lives? One of the ways that I think we can do that is by noticing what are the things we do or the things we engage in that shift how we feel before and after the thing we've done mm-hmm. that may be an indication that that thing has uh, the potential to be a ritual for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, thinking about transitions, mm-hmm. right? Morning transitions, evening transitions. I think about we do 50 minute sessions with our clients. There's 10 minutes in between. And I do just about the same thing in those 10 minutes, day after day after day, but it allows me to reset, to settle, and to come back in fully present for the next session. And there are things that I don't do, right? Like I won't check email. I don't, I don't do things like that because I want to be present, mm-hmm. uh, but that's ritual, right? That's, yeah. there, there are these different ways that we engage. So there's some great research and I'm going to read this, which I usually don't do on the podcast, but I want to get it right here. So the research shows the why of ritual. Mm. One, it gives us a greater sense of control. This is like, I, I absolutely see this in my own experience and things that I do, but especially if we're looking back at the pandemic, those things that you were saying that you were doing mm-hmm. um, in a time that felt so out of control yep. gave you this sense of groundedness and peace in your environment and space. Yep. Right. Uh, it improves attention. The other part of ritual is that it <laughs> it is formulaic, right? I mm. do this and then I do this and then I do this and this which allows our attention to go to other places because we're taking away uh, choice points, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're taking away energy because this is just what we do so that we can then engage our attention in other places. Yeah. Before you read the other ones, I think it's important to talk about, or just to mention that first one that it improves. It gives a sense of control. Mm-hmm. When we think about a marker of trauma, it is feeling powerless. Yes. And so when we think about engaging ritual as a means to feel like we have more power in our own world or more control, there's a reason why that would feel so healing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the, the second one you just said too, with attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we'll come back to that one. Well, and and to the point of control, there's there's a reason why unconsciously we will engage sometimes in unhealthy yes. ritual or habit after trauma because we're trying, we know what we need, but it's coming from this unconscious, unintentional space. As soon as we understand it and harness it, we can move it into healthier spaces. Yes, and that the the ritual can become harmful. Mm-hmm. 
And if we're talking about, you know, I'm kind of having a light bulb moment in this right now, but the ritual that is engaged in sometimes, um, the practice of Mm self-harm is to remove us from attention and to help us dissociate or leave or draw the attention somewhere else from the pain we're feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that goes straight into that second one of it's increasing our attention. Mm -hmm. And so ritual can be really powerful, Mm -hmm. very powerful. And we, it, it really is about, is this, have, has my need come to this level of awareness where I can engage with it in a healthy way? Yes. Uh, so let's, we'll proceed. We'll come back to this. We'll I'm sure. Proceed. <laughs> um, increases emotional stability. So we can look at both sides of this, right? The things that we engage in that are, are more habitual and, um, what's the word I'm looking for that are, that are more habitual and unconscious. They don't have the intention behind it. Like more automatic or right. That that might be our, our way of self-protection or Mm. self-medicating things like that. They're not, they're not really going to give us a greatest sense of control. It is a false sense of control. They're not going to improve our attention. They're drawing our attention away. They're not going to increase emotional stability. It creates distress, Yeah. right? In the moment, we might feel it, that we're in control, but it soon unravels. Yeah. But when we're engaged in healthy, intentional ritual, all of these things will be true. Mm, yeah. Uh, builds confidence mitigates grief caused by life-changing losses. And we're going to come back to this at the end of, of our session today, our session, the end of our podcast. You can tell That's the ritual language the that I use. <laughs> what time do you want to come back next week? <laughs> um, we'll come back to this because you're going to be talking more about what that ritual looks like in grief. Mm-hmm. It can dis- decrease disappointment or frustration with an experience. And the, the example here is losing a game. And we think about sports teams have rituals as the team for when they win and when they lose. And it's meant to, to mitigate mm. and to bring community into those. It enhances consumption experiences. So like you were just talking about when we eat, mindfully intentionally in these spaces where like this is the ritual of what a holiday dinner is Mm. or this is the ritual of an evening meal with my partner it changes our experience of that um and so and then it goes on to talk about we can create ritual around mundane things Mm. We can create ritual around transitions and then the importance of creating community ritual. So let's talk a little bit about mundane. What does ritual around mundane things look like to you? Yeah. You know, I, there's this thing that goes around Instagram periodically of like romanticize your life. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) no, (laughs) my, my life is already so romantic, (laughs) but I, I think what that I'm thinking in this moment with that message actually means is lean into your rituals, but it's said in kind of a weird way. Um, mundane for me, like I, 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 when I go to bed at night, I straighten my sheets because I can't sleep on a loose bed is what I call it. (laughs) 
Like I have to tighten the undersheet and I kind of smooth things out. And it's this really practical, in my mind, ritual of preparing myself for this rest in a space that has been prepared for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one way that it comes. I also, I ritualistically meet Jeffrey every morning. Mm-hmm. Like there's a certain way that I pet him. There's certain things that I talk with him about. And part of it is I'm feeding this relationship that he and I have, and he knows that those things are going to happen. And comes to meet me for those I could just kind of you know good morning pat him on the head whatever for new listeners Jeffrey's my dog and not my partner (laughs) all my own clients are like yeah of course you do and new ones are like okay girl (laughs) romanticize your life (laughs) romanticize it in private (laughs) um Yeah. I mean, ritual for mundane. This is something actually, when I go downstairs to have my coffee in the morning, where, where we keep our coffee pods and where we keep our coffee machine and where we keep our mugs and where we keep the creamer in the fridge, they're actually all really inconveniently located. It would make the most sense to condense them, but gathering those items is actually part of my ritual. Mm Mm-hmm to bring them, to choose the cup, to get the creamer, to walk over here, to choose the pod, to put it in, to start Mm -hmm. it, to do this. It's got this rhythm to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, I hadn't thought much about that, but I've contemplated moving it all to one central location before and had some real, um, an unease about that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I know that that's part of my mundane ritual. Yeah. How about for you? Yeah. I was thinking about cleaning, right? When I'm, when I'm cleaning my house or my kitchen, I have a very specific way that I like to do it. And I like that that you're talking about the rhythm of things. Mm -hmm. It just, I can feel myself settle as I move from one task to the next. And I was listening to a podcast this morning where they were talking about, um, the evening shift, (laughs) 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 the, the, like you know, someone's in charge of the evening shift. So your morning person can wake up and walk into a clean kitchen. Yeah. You, you are in charge of the evening shift. And, and it was funny cause they were like, I don't know who's in charge of the evening shift at my house. I wish somebody would step that. it up. <laughs> but, but for me, it is this very soothing, calming, settling ritual that allows me to move into the evening and wake up and engage in those morning rituals. So there's that mm-hmm. for me. I'm also reminded of when my kids were really young. I was living out of state away from family and I would send an email once a week to family members and update them on our life and what we were doing. And I Your remember very first newsletter. It was my very first <laughs> newsletter, that's right. I remember in one of them, I said something like, I think I'm always making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and doing the dishes. And my aunt, Chris, who recently passed away, sent, and this was two, 2000, it was a long wow. time ago, sent back a reply and said, I remember that when my kids were little and I decided that when I was doing those dishes or when I was making the peanut butter sandwich that I would just offer up some gratitude that I could make this peanut butter sandwich Mm. or that I had food to put in Tupperware. 
And that ritual is very simple and around the most mundane thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it shifted things for me. I started to do that and I still didn't want to make peanut butter sandwiches all day long, Mm -hmm. but it brought intention to it and it changed the meaning of it. So kind of going back to the quote, I can light a candle because I need light or because it represents light I need Mm -hmm. in this way. I could make the sandwich because it's just something I'm supposed to do, or I can use that as a prompt for gratitude. Yeah for this, this opportunity or the resources or, you know, whatever I choose to be grateful for in that moment. Yeah. I think too, the, I mean, you know, moving into this, this discussion about ritual and grief, um, is like, so I'm preparing right now for, um, the event that I'm running um, when this episode publishes, it will be that Saturday, the 18th, that the um, Creating Loving Ritual grief event is going on on Zoom. And one of the things that I keep coming up in my research around ritual and grief is this prompt to not, uh, not release routine. Whatever you do, don't release routine. And I, I, I don't agree with that, actually. Whatever you do, do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I think is important in grief is when we come into holidays or we come into um, anniversaries or important dates, part of what is helpful in grief, particularly from ritual, is it allows us in a contained enough way to touch pain. And when we talk about the pendulation between pain and restoration, which is the work of grief, Ritual allows us to have both in a pretty simultaneous way, unlike most other things. And so being able to have maybe the dinner you would have planned, but have an empty chair there, you're engaging in the quote unquote routine or ritual as I would like to call it, but with the very present absence of your loved one. Intention. Intention, right? And it's, it's not avoiding but it's also not collapsing, mm-hmm. right? And I and we'll talk more about how that can look and how to gauge what the emotional temperature for yourself is or for the community that you'll be with around your grief. But particularly in grief, I think a takeaway of this is ritual can allow you to touch with the structure of ritual. It can allow you to touch the pain that sometimes feels too uncontained. Mm-hmm. Which is that greater sense of control. Yeah, it is, you know, we can talk about control in terms of like, I'm managing all of these things. Yeah. Or we can talk about, there are so many things that I, I cannot control. I cannot control the loss that I'm experiencing. And this ritual, this intention, these choices that I'm making for myself with my community can bring that into, like you said, a container mm-hmm. where I can create meaning from it rather than feeling like it's just another thing out of my yeah. control or that it's this thing, you know, I think holidays, especially that we're just going to ignore this pain because the, the routine says 
we do it this way. Mm-hmm. And, and ritual says we can do it this way and, yeah. and we can add these things. We can change these things because it's the intention that we're bringing to it. Yeah. yeah. So tell us more about your workshop and where people can find that. Yeah, so we'll we'll have some access um, to the there's a flyer on our uh, social media pages, but it's a virtual mini workshop on Saturday, November eighteenth, from ten a.m. to eleven a.m. And you just need to email me if you'd like to come. Um, I'll send an email out beforehand with some before you come or good to knows. But really, all it is is bring a pen and a notebook to your computer or wherever you're logging on to this zoom meeting, maybe a nice cozy drink that you want to have. And participation is reflective, but individual and passive. So no one's going to be, um, required on camera or sharing anything like that, which I think is important for folks to know because the idea of attending something related to grief can often feel a little overwhelming if you're not sure what that will look like. Mm -hmm. So I'll send out more details about the structure. Um, but you can, you can truly set back camera and mic off if you want and just absorb, or you can do some of the reflective activities that I'll walk everybody through. And what you'll walk away with is, a better understanding of how to navigate the holidays and cope well and in balanced ways, and also how to cultivate ritual, select ritual, and communicate with your community about what ritual could look like for you entering the holidays. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it because it can be, it's going to be something I think nourishing and there's, there's some deepness that I'm bringing to it through some different poetry and, um, a really nourishing little surprise at the end I'm working on. Yeah, it will be beautiful. So before we finish, we have an invitation for you. We would like you to think, one, about the rituals that already exist. Maybe the routines or the habits that you can inject some intention into and begin to notice if they, be, if they begin to feel different to you. And the other thing is, think about the mundane things. Think about your commute. Think about your mornings or your evenings. And and notice what happens when you add one intentional thing into that, whether that's reading a book before you go to bed or listening to a particular song or to a kind of music. See what happens, um, and we'll check in with you next time. We hope you're enjoying listening to the podcast as much as we love creating it. And we'd love to hear from you about your lived story. What are you examining and learning? Who are you becoming? Our podcast is sponsored by Riverbend Counseling in Colorado Springs. Following along with us on Instagram at Riverbend Therapy will allow you to engage more fully with the content of our episodes. There you'll find reflective questions, challenges, and community. If you appreciate this podcast, consider leaving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform, or better yet, share it with people you think might benefit from the work here. Mm